1 Samuel chapter 7. So in the old Bible with the logo, it's page 277. And with the Bible with the plain cover, it's page 194. So the men of Kiriath-Jerim came and took up the Ark of the Lord. They took it to Abinadab's house on the hill and consecrated Eleazar, his son, to guard the Ark of the Lord. It was a long time, 20 years in all, that the Ark remained at Kiriath-Jerim. And all the people of Israel mourned and sought after the Lord. And Samuel said to the whole house of Israel, if you are returning to the Lord with all your hearts, then rid yourselves of the foreign gods and the Ashtoreths and commit yourselves to the Lord and serve him only. And he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. So the Israelites put away their Baals and their Ashtoreths and served the Lord only. Then Samuel said, Assemble all Israel at Mizpah and I'll intercede with the Lord for you. When they had assembled at Mizpah, they drew water and poured it out before the Lord. On that day, they fasted and there they confessed. We have sinned against the Lord and Samuel was leader of Israel at Mizpah. When the Philistines heard that Israel had assembled at Mizpah, the rulers of the Philistines came up to attack them. And when the Israelites heard of it, they were afraid because of the Philistines. They said to Samuel, Do not stop crying out to the Lord our God for us, that he may rescue us from the hand of the Philistines. Then Samuel took a suckling lamb and offered it up as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. He cried out to the Lord on Israel's behalf, and the Lord answered him. While Samuel was sacrificing the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to engage Israel in battle. But that day, the Lord thundered with loud thunder against the Philistines and threw them into such a panic that they were routed before the Israelites. The men of Israel rushed out at Mizpah and pursued the Philistines, slaughtering them all the way to a point below beth -car. Then Samuel took a stone and he set it up between Mizpah and Shen. He named it Ebenezer, saying, Thus far has the Lord helped us. So the Philistines were subdued and did not invade Israelite territory again. Throughout Samuel's lifetime, the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines. The towns from Ekron to Gath that the Philistines had captured from Israel were restored to her and Israel delivered the neighbouring territory from the power of the Philistines. And there was peace between Israel and the Ammonites. Samuel continued as judge over Israel all the days of his life. From year to year, he went on a circuit from Bethel to Gilgal to Mizpah, judging Israel in all those places. But he always went back to Ramah, where his home was. And there he also judged Israel and built an altar there for the Lord. Well, good morning again. This is the first time I will have done my slides by myself, so please forgive me if I make a mistake. 
Well, as a teenager, I was very bitter and angry. That's who I was. Our family life at the time sucked. My parents had divorced. I was in that terrible stage of being an adult, but not quite. I didn't think I needed help, nor did I want it. I certainly didn't want help from a guy who was trying to invade my family. But that's the choice that was before me. I had jumped into a raging river in western New South Wales. I was being carried away by the rushing water. I was not a strong swimmer. And it appeared like my last hope of rescue was this hand reaching out from the rocky bank. A hand that belonged to a guy that I didn't like. And who I didn't want help from. This is the last guy I wanted help from. And in that moment, my mind raced. I don't know if you've ever had one of those moments where your mind seems to calculate things very, very quickly. My life's in danger, it realised. Would I seek this man's help? That was racing through my mind. As we look at 1 Samuel 7, we'll see this is the same choice that's before the Israelites and, by extension, you and me. Our lives are in danger and God can help us But will we seek his help? Will we reach out and take hold of his hand? Would you please pray with me? Loving Heavenly Father, as we come to 1 Samuel, please help us. Please help us by your Holy Spirit to see the truth that is here and not just see it, but respond to it, that we might see your help and receive your rescue. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, God can help us. Will we accept his help? Today we'll see five pillars in accepting and enjoying God's help. So seeking God, repentance, commitment, serving and reliance. Let's begin with the first pillar, seeking God. In verse 2, we see that it's been a long time since Israel has sought God's help. For 20 years, the Ark of the Covenant, where God had chosen his presence to dwell, has been sitting on the border of the tribes of Judah and Benjamin. Yet Israel have not sought God's face in that time. They're still in rebellious mode. If you've read 1 Samuel, you'll know that just before these events in chapter 7, Israel have tried to use God as a talisman to boost their sinful ways. But God would have none of it. He removed his presence and allowed the Israelites to be defeated and the ark of God to be captured. Yet God himself brought the ark back. He brought it back by utterly humiliating the God of the Philistines. Poor Dagon could not stand in Yahweh's presence. If you've read that section of God's word, you'll know the story. The ark had come back to Israel, but Israel for 20 years had not sought God's face. In their eyes, God had failed them, hadn't he? And so they did not want the true God of Israel. This is helpful for us to see. For although God has revealed himself and is close at hand even today, many still do not want the true God. Because God doesn't fit our ideas for him. He's not come through for us the way we've wanted He hasn't given us the life we feel we deserve. So, like Israel, 
We want a God who will go into battle for our chosen way of life, fight for our agendas. That's the natural state of our human hearts. No one, zero, no one seeks the true God. No one does. Romans 3, 10 through 12. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Now, with that truth in mind, what do we make of the second half of verse 2, where we read, Then all the people of Israel turned back to the Lord. Amazingly, the whole house of Israel, a whole nation, is seeking God. How do we make sense of this? We make sense of it by recognising that God has done something only he can do. A miracle. He has softened hard and dead hearts and he, God himself, has called them back to him. Jesus speaks about this same thing years later in John chapter 6 from verse 44. Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them and I will raise them up at the last day. So if you have been softened and you have sought the face of God in Jesus, then praise God. You need to praise him, don't you? For he's done a miracle in you. For you did not seek God. You did not want him in your natural state. But God has called you. Praise him for his kind love. If you have put your trust in Jesus, praise him for his kind love to you. If that's not you, then pray that God would call you to himself. That he would soften your heart and your dead heart to him. The second pillar in accepting and enjoying God's help is repentance. Notice in verse 3 how Samuel says to Israel, if you are returning to God. Friends, this is the first part of repentance. Acknowledging you've been going the wrong way and then turning back to God. Notice how Samuel also says that part of returning to God is to get rid of their other gods. The second part of repentance is always putting away those delicious sins that we've been indulging. You can always tell if someone is truly repentant by how passionate they are for throwing away what was once so precious to them. For example, the person who repents of their addiction of eating copious amounts of chocolate. Maybe that's one of you here this morning who likes their chocolate. I certainly do. The person who truly repents of their chocolate eating is the person who ruthlessly goes to their fridge stocked with all those delicious morsels and they take a large garbage bag and fill it with all those delicious chocolates and then they drive to the tip and throw that bag full of chocolate into where it cannot be retrieved. Friends, if we're those who've returned to God with all our heart, 
then we must get rid of those delicious sins we love to indulge. We must cast them over the highest cliff where they cannot be retrieved. We must be ruthless. We cannot be half-hearted in our approach to sin. We must encourage each other daily to be putting sin to death. Our God does not tolerate sin, does he? But how do we do it? How do we do it? In our own strength? Never. We must be found daily resting in the Holy Spirit's strength. Which means we must be daily bringing before God our sins and asking him to reveal by his Holy Spirit and his word more of our idols. Especially those idols and sins that are respectable. You know what I mean by respectable? Those sins that we just kind of make excuses for. Our greed, our gluttony, our anger, our gossip, our pride, our failure to love and be kind and gentle. Daily we must ask our Saviour's help to get rid of what clings to us, because it does cling to us, doesn't it? Also, we must pray for one another, support each other, highlight sins in each other's lives where it's found, and then together, through the Spirit, burn it. We must be a church full of ongoing repentance, mustn't we? If we are to be a church of Jesus Christ at all. If you have no desire to turn from your own ways, or no desire to put to death the delicious sins that you enjoy, then pray. Pray that God will give you a holy hatred, a holy hatred for the things that grieve his heart. Well, so far we've seen if you want to accept God's help, you have to seek him and repent. The next pillar we see at the end of verse 3. Notice how Samuel calls God's people to commit themselves to him and to serve him only. By commit, Samuel is saying, firmly plant yourself as unmovable. Secure yourself to God in such a way that you will not be moved. I'm sure many of you know about barnacles. You know about barnacles, don't you? They're a crust crustacean that cement themselves head down to the rocks, pilings, ships, hulls, driftwood or seaweed or to the body of whales. They're so secure, they're almost impossible to remove. Samuel is saying to God's people, cement yourself headfirst into God. Secure yourself to him so you cannot be moved. The only way we can do that is by prayerfully taking hold of the means God has given us. Cement yourself head down into God's word. Cement yourself head down into God's word. Here is where you know him and can be made secure by the Holy Spirit's work. The word of God is what the Holy Spirit uses to make sure you cannot be moved from the one true God. If you have no desire to cement your head into God's word, then pray that he would change your heart. If you struggle with it, and I know many people who do in my church, then talk to Scott, one of the elders, another Christian friend who, who does it easier. That's why we exist as a church family, isn't it? 
We exist as a church family to help each other. We exist to help each other personally be stuck into God. It's why we do one-on-one discipling, isn't it? We get alongside each other, read the Bible together. It's why we do our Bible studies. If you need help, ask. And then patiently work at it with the help of your brothers and sisters in Christ. The Church of Jesus has never had so many resources for his people to be able to cement themselves into his word. But Satan and our sin is winning many battles, and especially with us men. So ladies, you can take a break for a moment. Men. Men, we as a general rule, I see this in my own church, men as a general rule refuse to cement ourselves into God. It's why so many of us are not secure. We are tossed and turned by by so many desires and wants and teachings that lead us away from God. Men, you have no excuse. Commit yourself to God. Well, back in 1 Samuel, after the call to commit, he says, serve the Lord. Serve the Lord only. This picks up on the idea that Israel needed to be those who do the work of God. They they are to offer themselves to do what brings God glory, not them, God's glory. They're to offer themselves as those who worship God. As we come into the New Testament, we see what this looks like. Romans 12, 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, This is your true and proper worship. To serve God is to obey and to worship him with everything that we are and have. But how do we go about this? It's like when you first join a social club. Have you ever joined a social club? If you do it well, you'll find out what the group is on about. You read the mission statement and look at the vision, what they're on about. Likewise, when you want to to serve God, you have to look at his word, the Bible, which tells you about him and his purposes. Now, to serve in a club, you have to also do another step. You have to examine yourself in light of the mission and vision documents, don't you? Seeing how you personally fit in and how you can work to further the glory and goals of the group. When serving God, you examine yourself by the word of God and see how you fit into his plans. From there, you can see how you can personally work to further his glory and the good of others. Also, when you serve in a club, you need to do life with and talk with and and live with members of that group, don't you? As you do life and serve together, you get the privilege of seeing how others have been gifted. When serving God, you need to talk and do life with his family, the church working with and sharing the gifts that God has given for his glory. We aren't to do it solo, are we? We're to do it together. So that's how we serve. Will you accept God's help and serve him? If you're uncertain, chat with Scott or one of your elders. I'm sure that they can tell you many ways that you can serve within this church family here and also within your family unit at home. Well, the final pillar is the most important, reliance on God's mediator. In verse 5, 
Samuel steps in to mediate for Israel. Israel had repented, but they needed someone to step in and deal with God on their behalf. Someone who hadn't sinned like them. Someone who wasn't guilty like them. So Samuel calls them all together and prays to God on their behalf. In verse 8, the Israelites, when confronted with their enemies that they realise they can't defeat, again ask for Samuel to, in, to mediate and intercede in prayer, which he does. In verse 9, Samuel intercedes and mediates as a priest and offers a burnt offering to God, which God accepts. In verse 12, Samuel intercedes and provides a sign, a special rock, a sign of the help that God has given his people. In verses 15 through 16, Samuel intercedes and continues to judge Israel, bringing God's word and laws before them and calling them to obey and follow and enjoy him. Samuel intercedes for Israel in prayer, sacrifice, providing signs and judging. He was a very special mediator between a sinful people and a holy God. But Samuel was fulfilling a temporary role. His mediation was not fully able to restore relationship with God. And as you go through the Old Testament, you see that it doesn't last. The mediation and restoration could only be filled by one person. When we come to the New Testament, we read in 1 Timothy 2.5, For there is one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus. And what I would like us to see is how Jesus' ministry is like Samuel's, but far better and far greater. For in his earthly life, Jesus, like Samuel, prayed on behalf of his people. We see this in John 17, 9. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. Jesus, like Samuel, offered a sacrifice for God's people. Yet his sacrifice was far greater and achieved total, just forgiveness. It's going to be a long section from Hebrews. But as we go through it, I want you to see how Jesus' sacrifice is so much greater than Samuel's. So Hebrews 10 from verse 5. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings you were not pleased. Then I said, here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, my God. First he said, sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, though you were, they were offered in accordance with the law. Then he said, here I am. I have come to do your will. He sets aside the first to establish the second. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, he is made perfect forever, those who are being made holy. 
Did you see those wonderful truths about Jesus' sacrifice? Jesus, after saving his people, continues to judge and intercede and mediate like Samuel did. 1 John 2, 1. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not, not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Also, Jesus, like Samuel, provided signs and seals, didn't he, to remember God's help. Not a stone like Samuel, but water and baptism, wine and bread for the Lord's Supper. I hope you see from all this that if you want to accept God's help, like Israel did in Samuel's time, you have to rely on God's mediator. In Samuel's time, God chose him for his people to rely on and have him intercede on their behalf. He was their saviour figure. Today, God calls us to rely on his most powerful and precious son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who saves us not by offering a sacrifice, but by being the sacrificial death and then rising again. So I suppose the questions are these for you this morning. Will you accept God's help? Will you seek him? Repent. Commit and serve and rely on Jesus, his mediator. Will you do those things this morning? In our natural state, this is impossible. We've such hard hearts, don't we? I started today with my hardness, my unwillingness to accept help. Here I was being rushed down a swollen, angry river, heading to a probable drowning. I was not a strong swimmer and the river was very wide and very strong. But I seriously wanted to die rather than reach out and grab my soon-to-be stepfather's hand. That's how much I hated him. But in a split second, my hand was reaching for his. And he grabbed me and he pulled me out. I didn't realise at the time what a significant moment that was. But accepting Bruno's help changed my entire life. And it's been a great blessing to grow in my appreciation for him, even though he's a bit quirky, but aren't we all? Yet Bruno's help pales into nothing compared to what Jesus did for me. When Jesus reached out his hand and pulled me to safety, I did not want his help, but he saved and rescued me. How do you describe in words the depths the wonders of being saved, being rescued by Jesus. You can't, can you? It's that profound, it's that amazing. Friends, please, this morning, accept God's help and enjoy him forever. Would you please pray with me? Loving Heavenly Father, we do thank you that despite our not seeking you, despite our not loving you, despite our rejecting you, you sought us, you helped us, you saved and rescued us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we pray that if there's anyone here this morning who hasn't yet accepted Jesus' help, that you might help them, you might take their dead heart and bring it to life, that they might see the wonder of Jesus and accept his rescue. Father, for the rest of us who've already accepted Christ's help, Help us not be like those who accept help and then live our lives for ourselves. 
but help us to be those who continue to live a life of repentance and seeking your will in everything. Help us to be committed to growing in our knowledge of you, in our obedience to you, to serving you more in our church family, at home, at work. Help us to be on about helping others see their need of saving. Father, we pray that above all those things too, you'll continue to help us be in awe of who Jesus is and what he's done. Help us to keep coming to the foot of the cross, to rely on our mediator. Help us never move away from him and his work. Help us never rest in our own efforts to be good enough for you, but to rest in Christ's work at the cross, where he sacrificed his life for our sins and rose again victorious. And is even now, as we speak to you, he's seated next to you in your throne room in the heavenlies. And he will one day soon return to restore all things. And Father, help us to be those who continue to rest in him until that day and speed its coming. And we pray this in Jesus' name and for your glory. Amen.